Welcome back. Rob Reagan, Regin for Shea So yes, it's been an, an interesting and significant week on the campaign trail. We got the one and only leaders debate last night. We'll talk about. So we also had uh, a bit of a curveball thrown into the campaign as the ethics commissioner released her reports on her investigation into uh, the extent to which the premier might have interfered with any COVID related cases before the courts. Finding that uh, her dealings with our Pavlovsky, her dealings with the justice minister crossed the line and that she violated Section 3 of the Conflict of Interest Act. Uh, so quite a revelation in the midst uh, of an election campaign. Joining us to talk about all of that and more, very pleased to welcome uh, into the conversation here this morning, our political analyst, Jason Rabir, also president of the Calgary Surge of the CEBL. Jason, great to have you with us here this morning. Great to be talking with you, Rob. So impressions on the debate last night, first of all. Well, look, I think, you know, for, for folks who follow this closely, it's a bit anticlimactic. And for some, they've been ravenous for, for this moment to get both leaders on the stage. But I've always thought that the um, the impact of debates can sometimes be overstated. Um, you know, folks have, have locked in their vote potentially long ago. So this is really, you know, getting to that mainstream, middle-of-the-road swing voter, you know, often called low-information voters who haven't been paying attention. And for them, I, I think they got uh, some information. I think there was, you know, deep contrast in the style and approach. Danielle Smith very much relying on her, her TV anchor uh, uh, experience, uh, so to speak. And, uh, and, and Rachel Notley trying to, I think, you know, hammer home this idea that she's more trustworthy, but almost veering into kind of policy wonkishness. Um, but I think at the end of the uh, of, of it, you know, most of the impressions that I'm seeing online, but also, you know, using my own eye, was that Danielle Smith did come across as, as more polished, more presentable, more clear on what she was wanting to talk about, but very, very, very uh, much playing fast and loose with the facts on, in her responses. Yeah, I suppose there's the the Pinocchio meter we can use on on any debate, and that's that's difficult to do in real time. But just in terms of how the leaders come across, yeah, I, I think. Look, I mean, these are both uh, accomplished and, and polished politicians, uh, effective communicators. But I do think, you know, given that you know Rachel Notley is really trying to portray uh, Daniel Smith a certain way, that for Smith, that is to come across as reasonable, calm, polished, effectively communicate her points. Um, you know, that, that, that hurts, I think, to some extent, you know, the, the way Notley and the NDP are trying to portray her. 100%. You know, it comes across in these kind of moderate and dulcet tones, and, and you're trying to paint all of those positions uh, as extreme. It, it's, it's jarring, and I don't think it's very effective. And I think, look, I think Rachel Notley said the right things. I think she stumbled a little bit when she was talking, you know, about her canned lines that she had prepared for in her openings. I think she's, you know, often most strong when she's being more conversational. It's why in every poll that's been registered for the last several years, you know, her likability and favorability is, is really high because when she's not looking at her notes and, and being able to talk to the average person, you know, she's a pretty likable person. Whereas I think Daniel Smith tried to, to really contrast that, really put herself, cement herself in that premier's chair, you know, really looking back on, on, on a record of, things that the UCP has done while also, you know, not, you know, you know, pointing to the, the disconnect between, you know, adding police officers while cutting police funding from the provincial end. It, it was that kind of dichotomy for folks who have been paying attention that I think is going to be really troubling to square and also troubling to square given the revelations around the breaching of the Conflict of Interest Act. That was what was really jarring to me that 
you know, we, you had someone uh, as a as a sitting premier who had you know broken conflict of interest law. Um, you know, really cement herself as a as a premier as if everything was normal and that that hadn't happened that morning. Yeah, and I think it was it was an awkward balance for Rachel Notley because there were only so many opportunities where it was it was an obvious discussion point. And so, you know, if the questions about health care affordability, do you look like you're avoiding the question if you try to bring it back to the, you know, the conflict of interest uh, act issue? So it didn't come up as much as I thought, but maybe there wasn't just the opportunity to do so. But is it something you expect we're going to hear more about? Is it something now for the NDP to pounce on, to really hammer away on? Like, how big an issue is this, do you think, moving forward here? Well, look, you know, as a as a citizen, you know, I, I think this has to this has to go 10,000 feet above NDP and UCP and say, is this something that, you know, the everyday average Albertan is going to resonate with? And are, are people within their own party going to speak up about this within the UCP? Are there going to be former folks who have abided by these rules of all stripes coming forward to say, this is odd, this is bizarre, there's no sanction that's been levied. It's, it's kind of bizarre that the ethics commissioner is going to wait until the legislature sits again to be able to, to give uh, any sort of uh, you know, punishments for, for, for the breaking of the conflict of interest act. But certainly I think the NDP has to be very careful. You know, they haven't kept their powder dry. There's been this treasure trove of, of videos and clips and things that have been said that are far outside the mainstream. And we've seen it in ad after ad after ad, and you run the risk of not picking your shots and now when there's an, a really something present, current day, that this person has done as the premier of Alberta, does this get washed away in the noise of the comments about the vaccinated being compared to Nazis? Does it get washed away in the support for the Coots blockade, et cetera, et cetera? That's, I think, the balance that the NDP is going to have a real trouble, you know, uh, striking in the next uh, coming days. Well, there's still a lot up for grabs here. I mean, you know, the polls we've seen this week indicate that it's still a close. It's a competitive race. We've got 10 days to go. Now, we don't have any more uh, leadership debates. I don't know if there's any other big shoes to drop in terms of anything else Danielle might have said or written in the past. What, what are you watching for or expecting here over the, the final 10 days of this campaign? Look, I, I think if there was a shoe to drop, the, the shoe should have dropped. I, I know there's a long... You know, all these campaign days towards the end get real long here, but but there's not a lot of time, and folks are just starting to pay attention. Like I said, I think the impact of debates is kind of overstated, um, even for folks making up their mind. You know how this works with voters is, you know, I'm looking at the lawn signs on my lawn, or I'm calling up a friend, uh, or I'm talking to someone at the office and saying, who are you voting for? Who's our candidate? You find out the day before or the day after, like, uh, or... or uh, uh, the just a few days before, and so I think that if there is another shoe to drop that that is critical, it should have already dropped. Um, and if not, it has to soon. But I think it's beyond that. I think you know so much of this campaign has already been written. Uh, you're seeing the ground game take shape in Calgary, where the NDP did a huge blitz from a signage perspective, uh, and this is where the the battle is going to be won. And, and it's a tough it's a tough slog, even if it's a close race statistically in the polling that we've all seen. For the NDP, uh, you, you've got to overperform 2015 numbers. you got to turn a lot of seats blue to orange. Uh, and, and that's going to be a difficult one when we've known over time that the conservative vote, when they're in lockstep, coalesces really hard. Um, they coalesce together really, really well. And we've seen a lot of people in the conservative establishment line up behind Danielle Smith, even though they're, I'm sure that she was not her first choice. And so definitely a lot of race left to run. But, but the NDP, I think needs to feel as though 
they have to be a few points ahead, if not several points ahead in Calgary to really pull this off and change the, the broader provincial outcome. And I don't know if they're there. I mean, you know, we've seen a few polls that have been, you know, a little bit all over the map. But I think, you know, the general trend seems to be that the UCP are slightly ahead, that Calgary's competitive, but not where the NDP needs it to be. Is that, that kind of your sense of what the poll numbers are telling us right now? For sure. I think there was a few outliers that showed, you know, large gains for the NDP. But I think those have been normalized. And even I think the firm that conducted that poll that showed the NDP far out ahead is in the field right after the debate to see if those numbers were were accurate. But I think this is close. Um, All the data seems to show that. And again, that's that's trouble for the NDP, right? They have to be overperforming. They have to be able to have that lead. And so now in these last several days, the tactics and strategy need to be what shoe do we need to drop or what, what tactic do we need to deploy to be able to make that a reality in Calgary as people start to, to pay attention and, and wake up. And, and I haven't really seen that, and I haven't, frankly, seen a broader campaign narrative um, been established by the NDP on a central level. While I think certain candidates are doing a good job of you know, communicating on, on issues of trust and issues of leadership and being in their writings. You know, the tools of politics are quite blunt. You've got to raise money, you've got to pick up the phone, and you've got to knock doors. I'm seeing all that good stuff, but the disconnect from the central narrative of the campaign, um, from a messaging standpoint, from a vision standpoint, from a running on your record standpoint, is, is, is one that I think is going to be challenging for the NDP. It's wholly challenging for the UCP as well but they seem to be much better at just completely ignoring what the previous record under Jason Kenney was and and sort of squarely aimed at looking forward of what they want to do for Alberta. All right, it's going to be a sprint to the finish for sure. Jason, we'll hear from you next week, but uh, do appreciate the the time and the insight here this morning. Thanks for this.